0: You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You could turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, towards the very end. And I'll give you a second to flip there in your own Bible if you would like to. Because we're going to read some of Jesus' words. These are, uh, it's not really a parable, but these are sayings of Jesus about hell he uses the word uh jesus i'm going to talk about this today but he uses the word gehenna and in this passage when you hear the word hell it's actually the word gehenna and we'll talk about that in a second but uh why don't you turn there mark chapter 9 starting in verse 43 and maybe you've heard these words before they're they're hard words to forget because they're they're pretty bold um verse 43 says if your hand causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to enter life maimed Then with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown in hell. And then the same thing. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where? And then he quotes Isaiah 66, where the worm does not die and the fire not is not quenched. Let's pray. Let's consider these words of Jesus. God, we do take your warnings of hell seriously. God, we do take these words to heart. And God, as we specifically talk about the afterlife this morning and what hell is, is our topic for today. God, we ask that you will open our minds and hearts, that we will understand what you said, understand scripture to a better degree, understand who you are and and what the afterlife is all about. Now, we praise you for this opportunity. We thank you for your Bible, that we can understand the things of of heaven and of hell because of you, and you sent your word to us. So we praise you, and we thank you this morning. And everybody screamed? Amen! Amen! Well, you know what a, a pet peeve is, don't you? Of course you do. It's something that annoys you, but it really shouldn't annoy you as much as it does. Like if someone punches you in the face, that's pretty annoying, right? You have the right to be a little annoyed at someone punching you in the face. But pet peeves are, are these people that like to drink out of the, straight out of the milk or orange juice container. They just t- Does that annoy anyone else? You're like, dude, you're putting it back? Seriously? Get a cup. Couples who sit on the same side of the bench when there's no one on the other side. Does that annoy anybody else? <laughs> uh, noisy eaters. Here's a, here's a good one, probably too close to home. Poor driving due to texting. Anyone else? You're like You see someone in front of you swerving. You're just like, they must be drunk out of their mind, and you pull up next to them, and they're just like, la-la-la, texting. It's like, dude, seriously. Uh, fingernails on the chalkboard. That's a fun one. Movie talkers, people that go to movies and just talk the whole time. Like, really? Like, that's why you're here? Um, and then my new one, my, mine right now, is like, is like, what's your pet peeve, Joe? Mine is, and this happened just the other day, is, is automatic syncs. That don't automatically work. It's like you got to wash your hands. You got like a handful of soap, and you're like, eh, eh, eh. Come on! And you like go to the next one. Come on! Come on! And then someone else like walks in. And you're just like, you got to move your hands. Like that's what I'm doing. I'm moving them. It's not coming out. It's so annoying. I just want to like punch somebody. Anyways, that's a pet peeve. Um, here, here, an old pet peeve. It's not a pet peeve anymore, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But this, this used to be a pet peeve. Maybe it still is one of your pet peeves, and it's this one: the overuse of literally <laughs> when you actually mean figuratively. Anybody else annoyed by that? It's like, man, if I learn anything else in the middle of Sunday school, my head will literally explode. It's like, no, it won't literally. There, there's a picture of a head exploding. It's like, that's not what you literally mean. And this used to annoy me so much that I would like, that I was trying to use, overuse the word figuratively to get back at the overuse of literally. And so I'd say things like, man, I'm so hungry right now. I could figuratively eat three hamburgers. And like figuratively, yeah, probably literally only two and a half hamburgers. But figuratively, I'm pretty hungry. So, And people just look at me like, that's so dumb. What are you saying? But but it annoyed me for a while. Um, and then I remember someone used it, in the, and someone said literally, and it was just like the last straw. I was going to take them to the dictionary and show them what literally meant. They probably said something like, man, I I, I did so much. I had literally had to work my butt off to get this project done. <laughs> like, literally? No. Um, but So I went to the dictionary, and you can go to a dictionary on your own, and you'll find that if it's an up-to-date dictionary, a new dictionary, the literally is, and that's how you say it, literally with a e, E, whatever. Uh, and it's an adverb. Uh, definition number one is an actual manner or sense of uh, exactly, but the second meaning. And so here I am showing this person what literally means. I think we went to dictionary.com. It's like, here's what literally means. Stop using it. And then, and then definition number two, the word literally has changed because we use it to, to mean this on uh, number two. Used to acknowledge that something is not literally true, but is used for strong emphasis or to express strong feelings. And so here I am showing this person that they didn't literally work their butt off, but I guess they literally did because it just means not literally, but used to express strong feelings. So, turn to your neighbor and say, where's he going with this? I I don't know either, yeah. Um, Just kidding. I kind of know, but hopefully in my mind it, it makes sense. So... We do have this fascination with, with what is real. And we overuse the word literally just to mean actually. We, we have a fascination with the real because there's imitations everywhere. Mass productions of forgeries that are so much cheaper than the real thing. And so just today, like what we serve juice back there, uh, orange juice, but it's not really orange juice. You would think it was. You just look at this and you're like, oh, it's orange juice. But then you read and it says, contains then less than 2% juice. Oh, no, this one says contains no fruit juice. It's less than 2% citric acid, whatever that means. So, like, what, what is in here? I don't even know. And then, and then this one, the apple, apple, and this one's actually pretty clear, artificially flavored drink, no juice at the bottom, but it's smaller than, like, the big apple. You're like, oh, bright and early, apple juice, clearly. No, not really, not real juice. And then this one, this one's even better because this one's more like, oh, it's 100% natural flavors is what it says right down there at the bottom. You're like, oh, sweet, it's, it's cherry lime There's pictures of cherries and limes, and it's 100% natural flavors. And it's like, oh, it's juice. And then, and then this one says, uh, contains less than 1% juice. Like, what in the world? Like, get that, get that trash out of my face. It's not real. Um, hey, just follow me with this. It's, it's going somewhere. Um, or like this, the chicken nuggets. Like, you're looking at all these bags of chicken nuggets. Hopefully you could see that, like, that, that red star says something like, made with real organic white meat chicken. So you're looking at all these bags in the grocery store of chicken nuggets, and one says, made with real chicken. And you kind of take a step back and scratch your head, and it's like, what in the world are all these other bags of chicken nuggets in? Are they not made with chicken? What in the world? Or or this uh, real fruit bites. Dole, It's like a granola yogurt snack bar. But they make a big deal about the real thing. Um, and so here's where I'm going with this, that, that we have this fascination with the real because potentially we're so far removed from what is real, like, like the chicken, for instance. I mean, how many people, raise your hand if you've ever killed a chicken. Oh, quite a few. I mean, I mean, if you look, I mean, how, how many of you kill chickens, period, when you want to eat a chicken? Anybody? A couple people. Maybe you live on a chicken farm, I guess, or something, or have chickens in the backyard. But that's like two out of a hundred or so. Like, well, you're kind of, I mean, where do we even get, like, if you wanted to go buy a chicken, where do you go? craigslist what do you do i don't know i don't even know like we're, we're removed from the ebay can you ebay a chicken <laughs> just kidding lighten up people um so where am i going with this well when it comes to the afterlife and that is what we're talking about this month and this being the last uh talk this month we're, we're specifically talking about hell today and so often our question because we're fascinated with the real fascinated with what we want to see literal and we want to see the word real we want, to, we want to know, do you believe in a literal heaven or hell? Do you believe that heaven or, and hell are is as re, as a real place? Isn't that a good question? I mean, it seems like a good question because we're so fascinated with what is real, what is natural, what is organic, what is literal, that our question, if someone mentions heaven or hell, you first want to ask, at least maybe I do in my head, because I'm fascinated with the real, Is we want to ask, is heaven and hell, is it literal or, or is it spiritual? Is it symbolic or? Is it figurative or is it actual? Is it, is it real? Is it physical? And, and those are the questions we want to ask because our society, because we're kind of bombarded with this, this real fake thing, um, this, this dilemma. And so I want to, today, we're going to talk about hell as, we're going to ask the question, is hell literal? Is it figurative? Is it symbolic or is it spiritual? We're going to ask these questions in here in the Mill Sunday School and I think Sunday school is kind of a place where we're allowed to even ask those questions. Even presenting the question, is hell literal? Is hell real? Or is hell figurative? Or is it symbolic or spiritual? That, you, just asking that question in some circles of Christianity, would, would people would say, Whoa, hey man, you, you liberal, heretic, freak. Stop at Don't even ask that question. Don't even ask if hell is figurative or real. Just, just believe it and, and don't question it. Don't think about it. Um, and so, so today here in the Mill Sunday School, we're going to go the direction of we're, we're going to look at hell. We're going to study hell. Uh, we're going to look at Scripture and see what Scripture says about hell. Sound fun? Okay, so, so so today might be a little challenging for us. I know that it's been challenging for me this week as I've prepared for this message. I've had to change a little bit of my thinking when it came to hell and the afterlife. And so that's what we're talking about today is the last Week of this month, we take topics by month, so it's it's the last. We'll, we'll close this month out this morning. <coughs> Let's see. All right. So if you're newish, some announcements. Are you okay with some announcements? Just a few, not, not too many. I won't overwhelm you. But if you're new, if you're brand new to Sunday school, there's cards on all the table. It looks just like this. It has our logo. It says Get Schooled. And if you uh, give us your name, information, email, we'll put you on an email list. No big deal. We won't abuse it. Uh, but you can give this to the people. Um, right out there at the by the black curtains as you leave, they will give you a CD. It looks something like this. It's got some songs that the mill. That's our Friday night. That's our main meeting that we recorded a while ago. And you so you get a free CD. It's pretty cool. Um, and there is fall retreat. Anybody going to fall retreat? Ooh, ooh, quite a few. And and all of us should because it's it's kind of like the event of the year. There will be no Sunday school that week. I think it's October 24th that Sunday. There'll be no Sunday school. Most of the mill, probably the majority of the mill, will be up in Winter Park, Colorado, hanging out, relaxing, chilling. And so if you don't know anything about Fall Retreat yet, go to our website, pick up one of the flies. The theme is life. So if you see life on a postcard, that's what that's referring to, our Fall Retreat. And, uh, and then you can register today in the back or online. But those are your announcements, okay? Cool? Okay, here's what I want you to discuss. And I want you to just um, answer this question um just what what you think like if i said hell what would you think hell and then you're like okay i I have some thoughts about what hell is what do you imagine hell to be like would you just list some things if you're at tables just kind of go around it's like i i think of this i think of that i think of this or i heard this once just list some things like what do you think of when the word hell is presented like you're going straight to hell like what do you imagine ready get set go Wrapped around you like the chains, restricting all your dreams. It probably wasn't wasn't long enough to talk about the full imagination of what hell is going to be like. But uh, usually you're not allowed to yell in church. For right now, you're allowed to yell in church. Yell out what your table said. Like, what do you imagine hell to be? Someone yell something. Wait, what? Darkness? What'd you say? Accordions? What? (laughs) What does that mean? What? Fire? A torment? Screaming? (laughs) (laughs) Loud noises? Demons? Anything else? Pitchforks? Satan down there? Right? Anything else? A what? Coffee less existence? Oh, man. That would be hell. Uh, anything else? Yeah. Creature. I can't hear you quite, but I heard like creatures and torment and stuff. Demonic demons down there. Dude, is that what you imagine? That's what I imagine. So, so, so far so good. Let's review and then we'll come back to what, what we imagine hell to be in just a second. But review... Let's review what we talked about already this month, which was uh, we have two goals this month. Uh, do you remember the two goals? Goal number one, Do we try not to make stuff up. We're going to try like the, the accordions and no coffee in hell. Like That's fun to think about. I mean, I guess it's not because it's not fun. That's the opposite of fun. But it's interesting, I guess is a better word, to think about that hell could be this place of accordions and no coffee. Um, but the, the, does the Bible say anything about that? And so let's say, no, let's, let's hold back from imaginations, at least here in the Mill Sunday School, as we talk about things. And point number two, let's just stick to what the Bible says about the afterlife. And so if the Bible is clear that in hell there will be accordions and no coffee, then, then we'll, we'll talk about that. But if it, it's not that clear, then we'll just joke about that, but we'll really talk about what the Bible actually says. So that's kind of our goal this month um, And so we'll come back to hell in just a second. But one more point to review is this phrase, which was presented last week by Jordan Haley, uh, which is a phrase used by a theologian, N.T. Wright. And we mentioned him on one of the first weeks of the Mill Sunday School, which, by the way, you can podcast and re-listen, because a lot of this lesson on hell follows from what we've already talked about. So if you're a little confused, join the club, but there's a little help if you listen to the podcast. Anyways, the life after the life after death. Which kind of sounds like a riddle, doesn't it? You're like, what? The life after the life after death. Well, let's break it down. Look at just the sentence underlined by purple. And that when you die, there is a life after death. And if you've been coming to Sunday school, we've been talking about how death, as far as the modern evangelical Protestants believe, like there's this misconception that as soon as you die, let's say you get hit by a bus, you either go directly to heaven or hell for all of eternity. That's kind of the predominant American evangelical thought. But this month of Sunday school, we've been studying that, you know, it seems as though there's more to the afterlife than just a one-time death and in heaven or hell for all eternity. It seems like there's more going on, like a waiting for judgment. There's this new heaven and new earth to come. There's Jesus returning and, and, and the dead rising and this this idea of the resurrection. And so the life after death can be referred to, and, and la- I think it was two weeks ago we took a whole Sunday and talked about what we could call the intermediate states, that this, this place in between the, the, the eternal heaven, this new earth, new heaven thing. <clears throat> and so life after death, Jesus refers to it as paradise for, for believing righteous Christians. It's a nice place to go, so you get to go to the life after death. But then the other phrase underlined now by blue is that there's the, a life after that as well. That as soon as you die, you enter into death, and there's lots of ideas on what that could mean exactly, or if time passes, or if you don't experience it as time, whatever, but you enter into death, and there's a life after death, but then there's a life to come, and a resurrected body, there's more to it than that, and if I'm confusing you, and some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, um, that's just okay. It is is a very big shift from the modern evangelical Protestant, Protestant thought of, you snap your fingers, get hit by a bus, or you get hit by your bus, and then snap, like snap of the fingers, you're in either heaven or hell for all eternity. Seems like there's more going on than that. So let's now talk about hell and, and the the point on your on your little thing here. If you got the skillet, we call these skillets. The point number two: hell is a bad word. Turn to your neighbor and say, "Are we allowed to say hell in church?" <laughs> it's a trick question. You just did. <laughs> But like the old fashioned, and and, and and like if you're if you're is is hell a bad word to your grandma, you better believe it is. Like if you. Go to your gra- Let's say you go to your grandma's house after church, and you, you uh, are having lunch with grandma after church, and she asks you, what did you learn in the Mill Sunday School? You could tell her, oh, we talked about hell and the figurative, literal descriptions. We talked about the places of hell. And your grandma would say, okay. But if you walked into your grandma's house for lunch, you said, hey, grandma, what the H is for lunch? <laughs> she would slap you, and you'd probably get no lunch, Right? And, and then borderline is like uh, you're ta- still talking about the place of hell, but you're using it like. And he was driving like a bat out of h. Right? Because it's kind of. It's, anyways, I'm joking around about hell being a bad word in the profane sense. Here's what I really mean by hell is a bad word. So I'm not. I'm just joking about the profane sense. Here's what I really mean, because with the word hell, you say the word hell, and people imagine the things that we just talked about. Accordions, no coffee. Pitchforks, demons eating people, fire under the earth, some of those scripture descriptions are biblical, uh, and some of them are just kind of imaginary made up like yeah the, the the we'll talk about that in a second with with the word hell comes so much baggage, so it 's a bad word, and i 'm not talking at all about using it in the profane sense. I just joked about that, like what the h is for lunch that 's just a joking sense but hell the word hell is a bad word because it comes with so much baggage like the like the beginning of this month we talked about the word heaven and how heaven has so much baggage with it so much, uh, the, these ideas from the Middle Ages of what hell is supposed to look like. and These ideas of, you know, some people say, oh yeah, hell's this kind of place. And they say the lake of fire and burning, and it's literal. And some people are like, no, those are figurative explanations of hell. And then some other people are like, well, hell doesn't seem that bad. I would like to go there, like Marilyn Manson or something. And it's like, what in the world? Like, hell has all these different meanings. It comes with all this baggage. Point number two, with hell comes so much imagination. Like, we just kind of asked you to imagine what hell would be like, and, and everyone was so quick to say what they imagined hell to be like. Uh, maybe some of those things coming from the Middle Ages or paintings or movies, some of those things coming from the Bible or just Christian myth that gets, it gets perpetrated on and on, uh, things like this. This is If you could see this picture clear enough, it's... Anyone know what that is? I heard it, yeah. Dante's uh, nine layers, nine levels of hell, and you kind of descend down. So Dante had this large poetic uh, book. I think he wrote in the 1200s or 1400s. You can Wikipedia me to check that out for sure. But Dante wrote this huge poetic description of what hell was like. And so lots of lots of our thinking is kind of comes from the Middle Ages and this idea of what we imagine hell to be, um, this really bad place. Because there's only a few descriptions of hell in the Bible, which we'll look at in a second. But, but our imagination goes, and, and we have... We have things that we think of this. If you could see that, it's like this big black demon in the center eating the bodies of tormented souls, and there's like fire and lava all around. Or there's just this guy. <laughs> what, a, what a clown! What a clown! Does he does he go to bed like that? Just dress up. So that, that's a picture of Marilyn Manson, and I, I put. I hope you're not too offended. I'll, we put a quote of Marilyn Manson on the back. Maybe you've heard this quote before. On the back of your notes, Marilyn Manson said this. He said, you have to be saved to get into heaven, but you only have to be you to get into hell. And it's just an interesting quote. That It's like this kind of guy wants to go to hell. He, he uses hell almost as a publicity thing to get attention and to get uh, more, I guess, kids to listen to his music, whatever. Um, there, there's this guy, hell boy, it's just like the most ridiculous, I mean, if you love the movie, I apologize, but it's just like the most ridiculous, like, comic idea, like, there's, there's this boy from hell, and he's like a comic Superman, it's like, what? No, he's Hellboy, he's from hell. Anyways, and then there's this guy, of course, <laughs> Sanders from the Simpson hell, if you saw that episode uh, where the, the Simpson, uh, the, the nightmare hell is that Homer goes to hell, and there's like all these donuts. And Homer's like, more out, more out. He's eating all the donuts. And, like, the de- the demons are going to try to punish him with his favorite thing and make him hate donuts. But, like, Homer eats all the donuts in hell. And then he's like, more out. <laughs> Where's more? <laughs> anyway, I guess you ought to be there. Uh, but this, this next picture is just what like, maybe you imagine hell. There's a flying demon with horns. The demon has a pitchfork. Maybe that's Jesus. Or excuse me. <laughs> You'll see why I said that in a second, but that's obviously Satan with the horns and the pitchfork. But the whole idea of the pitchfork, for instance, comes from this Christian folklore, this Christian myth. uh, And it's just perpetrated on and on. It's like, yeah, who has the pitchfork? Satan has the pitchfork. He's the bad guy. He sits in heaven. Excuse me. Man, I'm struggling. (laughs) Satan sits in hell with a pitchfork poking the non-righteous people. Here, here, here's where I'm going to this, the the pitchfork thing. If you if you read the New Testament, you will see that. Uh, wait, hold on. In Luke, Luke chapter three, John the Baptist is referring to Jesus as coming Messiah, and he says, "I'm not worthy to tie Jesus' sandals. I'm not even. Uh, he's so much worthy. He's going to baptize uh, with the Holy Spirit, etc." And then one description, and if you want to look at it later, Luke three seventeen, uh, John the Baptist refers to Jesus as his winnowing fork, a winnowing fork is a pitchfork, um, his winnowing fork is, is in his hand to clear the thresh, threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And we have these other parables and stories of this idea that you, you separate the wheat from the chaff, and, and I don't know too much about wheat, but I do know that there's seeds in the stalk, and, and the seeds are what you can eat or, or crush up and make bread out of, and the rest of it, the, the leaves... the the, the chaff, the, the whatever else is left is just trash. And that's used, to, you could burn it up or whatever. And so Jesus is the one with the pitchfork. In that analogy, He's the one. He's Almighty God, the one who could separate the righteous from the unrighteous. But somehow in, in our Christian myth, we have given the devil the pitchfork that he somehow gets this extra power to separate or to to punish and it's like no that's that's just a part of myth the the true thing about the pitchfork is that jesus holds it jesus is the one in all control and and satan is just a creature created by god and so anyways just just that piece so we've we've talked about with the word hell you say the word hell it comes with baggage it comes with our imagination it comes with uh what i'm going to call and i'll explain this so much hyper soteriology what's the word soteriology mean Study of salvation. And so, I, and, and this is just kind of my phrasing of it, but you, I think you'll understand where I'm going with this. Like when, when we we got together as the Mill Sunday School leadership team and talked about what do we want to talk about this month in the afterlife when we were talking about, yeah, we should talk about this and that and resurrection and heaven and hell. And, and Jordan and I were actually going back and forth like, dude, you take hell. No, and I'll let you have that one is what he finally said. And it's, it comes with all this this soteriological baggage and that I think preachers are scared to talk about it. I think people in general are just scared to say, yeah, hell might be figurative. Because then people will be like, whoa, you think hell might be figurative? What do you mean by that, you liberal, heretic, universalist? Get out of my face. And it just comes with this, like if you, if you said, well, maybe some of the descriptions of heaven, like the, the clouds and the harps are more figurative people would be like, oh, okay, whatever. But if you said something like, maybe the fire in hell is more figurative than actual, people would be like, whoa, man, you don't think there's punishment in hell? You think everybody goes to heaven? Are you a universalist? Are you a heretic? Are you a liberal freak? And it's like, no, just lighten up, calm down. Let's, let's, it, the, the word hell, don't you agree that the word hell, when you say hell and you start studying hell, that any time you, you, you just say, let's, let's be open to studying what this is, it comes with so much hyper-soteriology. It's so interlocked with the damned going to hell that it's, it's hard to study for what it is. But today in the Middle Sunday School, we're going we're gonna to study it for what it is. We're going to look at some of the Greek and Hebrew words for hell. Uh, and we're going to explain what hell is, and we're going to conclude that today, like here's what we conclude about hell. Um, so it comes with hyper-soteriology. Uh, point number uh, four, I guess, under hell is a bad word is it comes with so much Christian myth, things that are just passed on, like the pitchfork that Satan holds that. And he's like, we're, well, the Bible says that Jesus is the one with the, with the pitchfork, but let's give it to Satan. He's pretty cool. He's like, no, let's, let's concentrate on what the Bible says. Or other Christian myth, like maybe like the Narnia hell or the Tolkien hell, the underworld hell, um, or or just like this Christian myth um, I, I'm going to touch on this one. This one might be too close to home, but this idea that's that's being that, that's being taught, and I'm probably guilty of it as well. Without, I mean, if we're not really studying hell, we're just studying, you know, what hell is and soteriology. You might have heard the phrase, uh, "Hell is just ultimate separation from God." Have you heard that? Yeah, of course you have. It's I've probably taught it, and 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 if I could, we really look at that idea. And especially look at it to its extreme, and you start to describe what that is, and you say, yeah, hell is a place where God is not. Hell is a place where God can't go. Hell is a place that that God doesn't see. It's like, all that, you know, if you really think about it that way, that's more Christian myth than in the Bible, don't you think? I mean, if you just think for a minute, you're like, yeah, where is it in the Bible where it says that God isn't there, and he can't see it, and he, uh, it's like, man, that's, I don't know that that's in there like that. I don't know that the descriptions of hell are in there like that. I mean, it's so common in our modern Protestant evangelical talk to talk about hell as separation from God. But at the same time, like the, the full description of of that is somewhat heretical in that are you, are you not saying that God is not omnipresent? Are you not saying that God is omnipotent? Are you not saying that God is all-knowing, that somehow you would be in this place called hell and you would be separated from God and he doesn't know what's going on there. It's like, no, God is omniscient. He doesn't, he's not there. No, God is omnipresent. He knows what's going on there and he, he is aware of it. And if, if, there, if there's like a literal hell, who created it? The devil? Well, the devil doesn't get to create stuff. God created it. And so this idea of hell is just total separation from God. And if you think about it like, oh, God doesn't know what's going on there or God isn't, it doesn't have the knowledge, doesn't have the power over it. You're like, man, that's, that's just different from what the Bible teaches. Is that okay to say? Okay. One, one more myth. Um, I guess we're kind of myth, hell myth busting right now. But uh, this one, I just said this one like last week or two weeks ago. Aaron Higgins was up here. Uh, he, he's a leader over there. And so he, we were talking about, oh, when are you going to talk about hell? And I was like, oh, well, hell, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I forget what exactly said because I said blah, blah, blah. But then I said this sentence, well, you know, Jesus talked more about hell then he talked about heaven. How many of you have heard that before? Lots of people. The, this idea that oh, really raise your hand if you've heard that. Have you not heard that? Okay, okay. There's a few more. Here's, I'm scared to say it. And you may have heard it from me because before I actually looked at the words, I would. I mean, I said it last week. Darren Higgins, he was up here, and I was like, "Well, Jesus talked more about hell than heaven." Or, or this statement. Maybe you've heard this one more. Hell is the most talked about subject in the New Testament. And this is just kind of. Christian myth that's been like, does anyone do any word searches or concordances? Look, look this up before you say it, and you'll find that I don't know if you can see this because the, the writing might be a little small. But here's a, in a, a KJV word count of the word heaven and the word hell. That in the Bible, the word heaven is is said 691 times. Hell only 54. The New Testament, the the word heaven is 277 times. The word hell is only 23 times. And then you could just say, oh, the Gospels, Jesus. Well, in the gospels, the word heaven is 121 times and hell is only 15. It's like, where did that come from? Obviously, some of you have heard that (coughs) before, that Jesus talked more about hell than heaven or the hell is the most talked about subject in the New Testament. It's like, that's just not true. It's this myth, this folklore, I guess, that just keeps getting passed around. But anyways, so let's talk about hell this morning. And I've chosen to talk about hell in, I've, I've called it the places of hell. Not the place of hell, but the places of hell. We're going to list six of them. I'm going to give you all six, then we're going to go back and, and look at each one individually. But what we're about to do is to enter into the world of the Greek and the Hebrew, the ancient world, and use the words they used. And we'll find out that there are a lot of words. I'm just going to give you six. There's probably a few more Greek and Hebrew words that are used that in English just gets translated as hell. it's like, well, you know, Jesus said Gehenna or Sheol or Hades or Tartus. Uh, There's all these words, and we just use the word hell. Kind of like the word, maybe some of you have heard this before, the word love. Like I love my wife. I love my parents. I love my brother. I love God. And I really love uh, uh, thick crust meat pizza. And it's like, well, you just use the same word to describe pizza and your wife. Dude, seriously? Well, well, in English, there's, I guess there is only one word. and it has, Like the word love, like the word hell, comes with so much baggage. Like love can mean all these different things in different circumstances. Uh, just like hell can mean different things in different circumstances. And so some of you know that in the Greek, there's, there's four words for the word love. Did you know that? Some of you know them. What are they? Agape, phileo, Eros and Storge, like the, the, heaven, uh, the brotherly love, par- parental love, romantic love, and, and like a God selfish love. There's different words for the word love in Greek. We only have the word love. So, like that, as we talk about hell, there are many words that, that go to describe hell more than just the word hell used in all these circumstances. So, here are the six. Uh, you write these down. Quickly, and then we will go back to talk. So if you don't get them all, we'll talk about each one individually. Number one, Sheol, Hades, which should be a review of uh, two weeks ago. We talked about this as well. Uh, Number two, Gehenna. Number three, Tartarus. I have to look at that word three times. Tartarus. Number four, the Abyss. Number five, your favorite, the Lake of Fire. And then number six, just the word prison is used uh, once. So we're, we'll talk about all six of these. You could list them, but we're going to go back and talk about Sheol, Hades first. And the Sheol, Hades, these are, these are two words. The Hebrew is, is Sheol. The Greek is Hades. And I think they're really counterparts because the Hebrew Old Testament Bible, it has this ancient document called the Septuagint, which is written... 200-ish BC, you could correct me on that via Wikipedia, but I believe it was finished around 200 BC. And this is what the early church used. And so their word for the Hebrew Sheol was Hades. And then there's New Testament passages that that are quoting Old Testament passages. And the word Hades is used for Sheol. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about these two words that literally Sheol is used so many times in the Old Testament just to say that someone was buried. Someone died and they went to Sheol. And so it's the idea of the grave. It's synonymous with the grave, just being dead. <clears throat> and then Hades, of course, has so much baggage with it because it's the Greek word. In fact, the, the Greek god, there's a Greek god named Hades, the ruler of the underworld. And then the Roman god that's named after Hades. Anybody know the Roman god, Hades? Pluto, yes! Not to be confused with a little dog on Mickey Mouse. Um... Just kidding. Um, So Hades literally means uh, the unseen. So you would die, and then you'd go into the world of the unseen, or you'd go into the underworld, and all this Greek context of Hades. In fact, our word hell comes directly from uh, Hades, the, the, the H word, Hades, or hell. Our English word comes from Hades. And both of these words, to kind of talk about them, neither one... They're sometimes used as a, in the good sense, sometimes used in the bad sense. Like we would say, yeah, bad people, they go to hell. Believers in Jesus Christ, they go to heaven. Um, and that's how we would talk about it. But in the context of the New Testament, in this word Hades, it seems like kind of everybody went to Hades, at least in the way it's used sometimes, whether you were good or bad. It's, it's just the place of the dead. And you could read Luke 16 if you want. There's the parable of... The the rich man and Lazarus, which we read a couple weeks ago. So there's a rich rich man that lives in luxury every single day. There's a poor man sitting outside. He's begging. It says the dogs licked his wounds. Everybody say, dude, I'm still eating breakfast. Thanks. Uh, And so they both die. And the context is they both go to Hades. But Lazarus, the beggar, he was with Abraham at his side. And there's this large chasm. And the rich man is on the other side of this chasm chasm and he's like abraham dude i'm I'm, it's hot over here i'm in torment let lazarus just dip his finger in some water and 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 let me have a drop of water and abraham says no in your life you you had all this luxury and and lazarus had 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 a bad time and so now it's your turn to suffer is is the idea I'm, i'm very kind of plagiarizing i don't know if that's the right word just paraphrasing that's the right word um, that 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 Luke 16 story you can read it later but that word there is Hades they, they go to Hades and in Hades there's a chasm and Abraham is on one side and Lazarus is on that side and on the other side is is the rich man or another time Hades is used uh, he's t- Jesus talking to Peter and says Peter you're, you're Peter the rock and upon this rock I will establish my kingdom of heaven and I'll give you the keys and the gates of Hell, or the gates. The word used there is the gates of Hades will not come against it. So this idea of of hell, or, or this just this place of death, is this idea of Hades, which its Hebrew counterpart is Sheol. So continuing, number two is this word Gehenna, and I'm going to kind of go through these six, and, and at the end we'll kind of wrap up. But these these are all words used in either the Greek or Hebrew to to talk about just this English word that's always translated as just this four-letter word hell. And it's like, well, there's, there's more to it if you get into the Greek and Hebrew. And so Gehenna is, is I put this picture up because it's a literal place. Jesus talked about the, the word Gehenna, um, and it's really the, the Valley of Hinoam. And here's a picture of it. It's this valley right outside of Jerusalem. And there's, maybe you've heard this before, but there's this idea of the context of maybe that was the trash dump of Jerusalem. People would burn trash there, and that idea kind of kind of took started rolling and, and grabbed up like Jewish folklore and so at the time of Jesus, and Jesus wasn't just making up this word, it was already a word established in Jewish folklore, this idea that uh there was a gate of uh Hinoam or Gehenna, and that the in the old times people would uh worship Baal or baal baal, yeah, baal there. And uh, they would worship him. And so it became just a bad place. And in this folklore, it became mixed with a figurative place of spiritual punishment for the wicked dead of Judaism. And so Jesus says things like, and so the the word Gehenna is only used 12 times. Uh, Every single one of them by Jesus, except for one in the book of James. So Jesus would say things like, "Whoever whoever calls someone, you fool will be liable of, in the NIV it just says hell, but the word there is Gehenna. Matthew 10:28, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Matthew 18:9, better to enter life with one eye than two eyes and go to Gehenna. Or the passage we read today, uh, Mark 9, the, the last part of it, and your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And that word hell is, like the others, Gehenna. And so it's only used 12 times and Jesus is obviously there's there's a like if he's in Jerusalem teaching this like you could look out and say better to you know gouge out your eye than to enter into gehenna with you know with 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 sin and and two eyes um and so it's obviously this literal place gehenna but it has figurative and folklore and myth wrapped up into it and as Jesus is talking about this he's saying you know this is this is what hell do he's, he's just giving a parable. It's better to get rid your life of sin than to enter life and enter into eternal punishment than with two eyes than with one eye. Um, so, uh, hopefully that makes sense. I was kind of stumbling over my words, but the next one, number three. Tartarus. And there, there's the Greek right underneath it. Tartarus, or Tartarus. Um, and this is only used once in the entire Bible, but we'll talk about it because it has... Some pretty important ideas that go along with it it 's only used in second Peter two four and it says this in that verse: For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but He sent them to hell, and the word there is the Greek word that 's at the top, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment and this This word in the Greek tatarus this has this idea in the Greek that that it's like a subdivision of Hades, like a really bad part of Hades, a place of torment and punishment within the realm of death. And Plato used this word 400 years before Christ. 400 BC, Plato said that this is, souls were judged after death, and so all those that received punishment, they were sent to Tartarus or Tartarus. And and so I think this this is just this idea that and it's only used once in the New Testament scripture, but it really has to do with, with maybe what our evangelical Protestant minds would say. It was like when we mention hell, we think of a place of, of doom and destruction and fire and torment, and that's really more along the lines of this word, uh, Tateris, that's only used once in the context of the New Testament, but there it is. That's, that's that word. It's one of the words used translated for hell in the Bible. Next one. The abyss, um, which I guess is—is that number four or five? Fourish. Okay. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, my numbering is correct. If it's not, I apologize. Uh, Abyss, which just means—it's a Greek word. Uh, You can see the the Greek letters underneath it for all of you Greek scholars. Which just means a the 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 prefix a means without. So asymmetrical would be without symmetry. So a. Abyss, abyssos means bottom, so without a bottom. And sometimes this word is translated as hell, or sometimes it's translated as abyss. For instance, Revelation 20, verse 1. says, so I saw an angel coming out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, the bottomless pit, and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And sometimes that's just translated as hell, that Satan is thrown into hell and kept there for a thousand years. And the, the word abyss is used eight times in the New Testament, I think all within the context of the book of Revelation. The next word, your favorite, lake of fire. Lake of fire is only used twice in the entire New Testament, and both times it's used are right up here in Revelation chapter 20. It says this, which is kind of interesting, that death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And those could be the personifications. Death, the word there is Thantos, and that's a Greek god. And of course, Hades, uh, the god of the underworld. That could be like the, 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 I don't know, could be the actual places, or it could be the personifications of those gods. Not sure, but they're thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death, which is interesting. It's a whole other term. It's used four times in the New Testament, all within the book of Revelation. Um, verse fifteen says, "If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." And so, these are the only two times the, that the phrase "lake of fire" is used. But it seems somewhat descriptive in that a lake—I imagine like a lake of gasoline—someone lights it on fire. You could imagine something different, but that's what I imagine. Um, it's just like constantly burning, burning lake. Maybe lava was more along the lines of what it uh, figuratively or literally means. But this is the book of Revelation, and. And I often find that the book of Revelation is very poetic. It's supposed to be symbolic in so many different places that it's hard to say, this is what hell will be like, the literal place of hell. You will go there and there will be literally a, a lake that looks like gasoline and it will be on fire. So it could be, it could be literal, it could be more figurative, it could be more poetic, not sure. But for whatever it is, lake of fire is used to describe um, this place of suffering, which many people say it's one and the same of hell. Um, and so that's what it is. That's that's the two times it's used. Next, prison. The first the, the Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Verse 19, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Everybody say, what? What? Uh, verse, verse 20 said, Those who disobeyed long ago when God awaited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through the water. It's like, wait a minute. Jesus preached, and we're not sure like when this is. It's like, wait, is it when he died that he went to go preach, or is that another time? Not sure uh, from the context of this. It is a little confusing. But it says he went to preach to the spirits in prison. And the word prison in the Greek there, just means prison or jail. There's not not much else to, to, for for it to mean. So just, Jesus went to jail and preached to people there. Well, who was there? Well, the people from long ago in the days of Noah. That's a weird verse, don't you think? And and often like I've often read this verse and just kind of like, man, that doesn't fit into my worldview. I'm just going to kind of ignore it. And and as I've studied heaven and hell, and and this this context of the modern evangelical Protestant church you know we believe or we just think that you die and you go straight to heaven or hell so like where does this passage fit within that worldview well it doesn't and so often we just say oh it's a confusing verse let's throw it out however uh, we're looking at it today we're talking a little bit about it today because the author of this book peter i mean we just read before that he was handed the keys i mean he got to hang out with jesus who knows more about heaven and hell peter or you Probably give credit to Peter on that one. I mean, I know a lot. I got my doctorate, but Peter, you know, it's Peter. So, so we can't just throw this passage out. We at least have to look at it. And from what I see, my take from this passage is just, man, there's more going on in the afterlife than just you die, snap your fingers, you're in heaven or hell for all eternity. There's, there's spirits that Jesus came and preached to the spirits of old that were in the days of Noah. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I'm not just going to throw this verse out. Continuing on with this thought, this idea of Jesus going to prison or Jesus going to hell, ask the question, did Jesus go to hell? Have you read or ever said aloud the Apostles' Creed and got to the line where it says he descended into hell? It's The, the, the first part of it is, you know, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, continues down to uh, he was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended into hell. Have you read that before? Have you seen that? Has anyone ever been confused about that? You're like, wait, he just, he really <laughs> descended into hell? Some denominations have thrown out that line of, of the creed, which kind of makes me wonder, like, the early church believed in that line. Why would you just throw it out? And I think it's thrown out because of the word hell and all the baggage it has. The Greek here is quite simply, uh, I put it underneath, quite literally just means he went down to the down place. So we translate it as that as he descended into hell, and our English word hell has all this baggage with it. But, but literally, it's just Jesus died, he was buried, and he, like he truly died. He went down to the down place. And from that, I just think, <coughs> like what, what, a, what a, I guess, look at our own selves, our own culture, when, when we read Jesus descended into hell, and some denominations just choose to, or we're going to take that out because it's too confusing. Well, of course, it's too confusing because in our Protestant evangelical modern mindset, you know, there's all there is is just heaven or just hell in the afterlife, and there's nothing else. You know, we don't like to talk about the resurrection, we don't like to talk about the new heaven and new earth, we don't like to talk about Jesus coming back and the dead being raised. And so, yeah, where does that fit in our worldview? And it really doesn't. And so, some denominations have taken out that line. I would, I would attest that we should not take out that line. It's From one of the earliest creeds we know, we should understand it and understand how it was meant, how it was read, that Jesus just truly died. He wasn't resuscitated when he came back. He wasn't just, you know, came back to life after being resuscitated, but he was resurrected. He truly died, and he went down to the down place. It's a lot of info there, but uh, I have to wrap up. Only a few minutes left. Let's conclude about hell. So, talked about a lot. I realize that. I've been talking fast. Here's some conclusions. I have a couple of them here. The, 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 there is an afterlife for the ungodly. We see that in Scripture again and again. There's this idea within Christianity that though maybe your soul just uh, just disappears and you cease to exist. It's called annihilationism. It's like from the context of Scripture, I don't think that we're just annihilated. That there is judgment. We didn't talk about that too much, but there's a time of judgment and then a punishment this next idea, Christ died for us now and in the afterlife. So we as modern evangelicals just think, sometimes, not always, we just think, oh, Christ died to save us from hell. It's like, well, there's more to it than that. He saved us for now as well, for a life now and the afterlife. Uh, Next point, there is a punishment for the unrighteous after death. And the last point, this punishment involves figurative, literal, sometimes both, descriptions of torment. And so, Whatever you believe about hell, and this word that probably has too much baggage with it, there is punishment after death. And the descriptions, any description of this place involves torment. It's not a nice place to go. It's not Disneyland. (laughs) Finally, to conclude about this month, conclusions about heaven and our hope, I just have a couple points here. There is hope in Christ. There isn't hope in Christ for the life after the life after death. That whatever happens when we die, we, Christ says, paradise. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul says, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. You'll be with him. Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us. Those are nice things to hope in, in Christ. That, be, that we will be with him. That there will be a resurrection. A, a bodily life that will be different than our body now. It will be holy and, and, and much better. To, to read 1 Corinthians 15. And finally, our hope is in a new creation for ourselves, that we will be newly created, and that the new earth, the new heaven, will be this new creation. We can hope in that and trust in Jesus for that. So I want to conclude this month with, as, as we sit here, is anyone else confused about all this stuff? <laughs> I am. Like, just researching it this month and and getting my mind kind of rattled from, like, Man, heaven has all these other different words that we just translate as hell, hell, and and heaven has different contexts of like being raised from the dead and this new heaven and new earth. Um, I'm just a little confused, but but my hope is in Christ and I do trust in Him. And so I thought we could read this passage. Let's let's read Revelation twenty-one, one through seven. I thought it would just be as as we sit here kind of confused like maybe let's let's just stand and agree with what we know let's stand and receive this scripture um let's read it for what it is and just read it as as it is the hope so let's let's all stand together and and uh i guess in an attitude of prayer i'll I'll just read this this passage it's revelation 21 and it's it's a description of what john saw what he saw the new heaven and the new earth this this final this, this place that, that, that the righteous, the redeemed will go to. And it says this. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride fully dressed for her husband. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who thirsts, I will give... um, Give to drink without any cost from the spring, the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God, and he will be my child. Let's pray. God, would you close in thinking about heaven and of hell and the afterlife? God, would you change our our misperceptions and allow us to come more in line with what you taught about the afterlife? God, even if it's confusing, God, open up our hearts and our, our minds. Allow us to be conformed by your scripture. And God, right now we are just so grateful that we do have hope in you. That we can hope in you for resurrection, for eternal life, for this awesome thing that you've said I've made new, this new heaven and new earth. Father, our hope is in you. We praise you. We leave here excited that that our hope is in you for, for now and for eternal life. So we love you and we praise you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. All right, everybody. Peace out. Next week will be uh, Aaron Stern and church traditions in here in the Mill Sunday School. We'll see you then. Peace.